are back with another episode of Rhythms of Grace. My name's Nate, and I'm here with Sung Kim, who's the lead pastor of Grace Church. And here in season three, we are talking about the complex issues in the Old Testament. We started off uh, last episode talking about how God of the Old Testament is often seen as being angry and vengeful, whereas the God of the New Testament is loving and merciful. And you're, you, you kind of laid out a lot of examples where the opposite is also true. Right. And so we're going to talk about who God was in the Old Testament and how sometimes, um, and I think we're going to get into this today, things that seem one way on the surface, there's more there. There's yep. more either in context or, or more in sort of a cultural understanding that lends us some insight into who God was and how he was engaging with his people. Yeah, speaking of cultural context, this little si- side thing here, I'm drinking a what's often called LaCroix. Yeah, I love that stuff. But it's La, La Croix in French. Okay. Why the heck do we call it LaCroix? It's interesting because it's like we're not pronouncing it the way it's spelled, nor are we pronouncing it the way that it's pronounced in French. We've, right. That's a, that's very American of us. We just like we're gonna pick our own way. We're yes. gonna pick our own way to pronounce this, and everybody else can just deal with it. Quite frankly. <laughs> yes. So talking about God, is God an angry God or is He a loving God? And like we kind of referenced to at the end of the last episode, the answer is yes. Okay. Um. Oftentimes when people think of God being angry, the image that comes to mind is that God will strike you with lightning. Yeah. You know, I heard, uh, this was maybe a couple of years ago, somebody, I was talking with a couple of people out in the lobby after service, and somebody said something. I don't remember what they said. It wasn't a curse word, but it was, you know, and then the other person said, hey, don't say that. You're in church. Uh, right. And right. then they were, and then they were like, God, God will strike you with lightning, yeah. kind of like, like you know, well, uh, outside this building, you could say, <laughs> yeah, right. It doesn't matter there, right? Yeah. So speaking of strike, striking you with lightning, while God doesn't do that, um, there is a story in the Old Testament um, in Samuel and first, uh, second Samuel. Uh, don't um, I'm supposed to know this, but I don't. But it's Uh-oh. a story of a guy named Uzzah. Uh, just to cap the story, the Philistines, which were the enemies of the Israelites, uh, took the Ark of the Ark of the Covenant um, and took, uh, stole it from Israel. And the Ark of the Covenant was the symbolic presence of God, because mm-hmm. we know that God is not contained in a box. But um, and then so David went and recaptured the Ark and brought it back to to Israel. Okay. And on the way there, they they were they were carrying it on a cart. Uh, and the, some cattle were driving it, it, it kind of shook, and the ark started to tip over and fall. And Uzzah, and, and God had numerous times instructed the Israelites not to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Uzzah stretches out his hands to stabilize the ark so it wouldn't fall on the ground, and God strikes him dead. That probably changed the mood of the uh, of the parade celebration pretty dramatically. <laughs> yeah, and so um, so what what is with that? Right, that I was exact. That was going to be my exact question. Would saving the symbolic presence of God warrant a death sentence? Right, like isn't that a good deed? Seems like it. Yeah, and, and 
Um, so I dug into this. I, I, I've preached on Uza before, but I've never looked at it from the perspective of, of this whole question that we're talking about. Okay. I found out some things that were just really fascinating. Um, so uh, a, a couple things that I, I think uh, to keep in mind. One is um, uh, the way they, the Israelites were carrying the ark. Okay. Uh, um, they... God had instructed the Israelites a number of times that whenever they carried God's, uh, this, this ark, um, which, by the way, was rediscovered by Indiana Jones. Of course. And it's now in some warehouse in the U.S. government. That's right. <laughs> That's right. The Illuminati has it. <laughs> That's right. So they, 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 it's supposed to be, be carried on poles. By the priests. By the priests. Yeah. And there was a very specific reason for that. Um, and you might think like, gosh, like, like, why are you so OCD about how you carry the Ark of the Covenant? Okay. Now, if you think about, um, some of the things that like, imagine carrying radioactive material, Mm -hmm. like the government has much more OCD rules about how to carry plutonium. Yeah. Because you do that every day at the farm. Sure. Um, All sorts of toxic chemicals we (laughs) handle. And so it's not unlike that, where God's presence, especially, again, in the context of the Old Testament, like, you, you couldn't even see his face and live. Mm-hmm. And so this was something, this was, so, so I'll, I'll say that much. Not only that, but, again, there's a whole parade going on here. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that one I looked at, that all Israel was there as the ark was returning. Okay. And so there's tens of thousands of people. And so um, what was happening was King David and Israel was sending a message to the nation of Israel that God's commands of how to carry the ark, mm. that basically obedience was optional. Interesting. Um. After this incident, the ark was never carried that way again. Oh, wow. It was always carried wow. on poles by the priest. Which, if I remember correctly, like, again, in the 40 years of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, even in all of that, right, yeah. it was always carried on, like, poles, and the, the Levites were, were carrying it yeah. by hand. Yeah. Yep. It's, what it kind of reminds me of a little bit is, is you know, at face value— you know, Uza is like the ark was falling, so I tried to catch it. Yeah, it's kind of like when uh, you're talking to one of your kids, and they're like, "I don't know, he just hit me," and I'm like, "Uh, he he just hit you? <laughs> well, and then suddenly you catch all of this backstory leading up to like, okay, yeah. if you look at just that incident, it does seem true that your brother hit you unprovoked, but actually, there's all of these other things that come before that give you some context that like disobedience was happening the whole time. Yeah. And so it's, it's not an isolated, it's not an isolated incident in the same way that, you know, two siblings smacking each other is never an isolated incident. Right. There's right. some perspective or some context. Yeah. And the thing that I found maybe even more interesting, <coughs> excuse me, is, um, and, and People may remember this either from watching different films or whatever, but royalty back then, when they were transported, mm-hmm. um, they were carried on poles mm-hmm. with a on a platform, sometimes on a throne or sometimes in a like a like you had your own encased little area yeah. surrounded by curtains, 
Um, and this wasn't just the Israelites. That goes all the way back to ancient China and Egypt. Mm. Royalty was always carried on poles by like certain officials and uh, on a platform, which was part of the reason why God commanded the Israelites to to do the do that. It was like a symbol of respect. Yes, and and, um, and carts and wagons uh, back then were used only to carry objects. Interesting. So weapons, money, equipment, and food. And so the Philistines, when they when they stole the ark, they they drove it by cattle and p- put it on a cart. Okay. When the Israelites recaptured the ark, mm. instead of bringing it back via priests and pole, mm-hmm. they brought it back that way. And essentially, the, saying this is an object, right. not 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 what or who it represents, not who yeah. it represents. This is uh, a okay. trophy. This is an object mm. that we've won back, and basically, you're insulting. Uh, God, mm. and they were treating God as cargo. Yeah, like that's what you like. Have you ever done like in college? And I did some really stupid things in college. Oh boy! But um, on many occasions, uh, we would either throw like a freshman in the trunk of the car, or I've I've ridden in the trunk of a car. Okay, like the trunk is used for cargo. Yeah, for a reason. Yeah, not for people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes dead bodies. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I've never had that experience, but your college days were wilder than mine, so who knows? So imagine uh, the president is coming to visit our city, mm. and uh, he rides in the trunk. Yes, they, pile him in the, they, yeah. they pile him in the back. Imagine what that says mm. about the president of the United States. Right. It's, commu- like, it's communicating a lot to the people watching, to him. Right. Uh, this is what this was saying to the Israelites about how they see and how they treat God. Yeah, You're, it's he's just an object. Mm. Think about back when Aaron uh, at Mount Sinai, when Moses was up in the mountain, created this golden calf. Yeah, this here is your God. Again, like oh man, fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's not just this capricious thing that God said or did. And the other thing too, and, and this one was. Um, it's interesting. I, I think uh, I, I think that last one is, is was the most interesting and fascinating to me. <laughs> but e- even if if you're Israel and um, you lose the the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. I mean, what what does that show about your uh, y- how you think or approach God in general? Mm. Right, you're, you're kind of careless. Mm. Um, so again, there there was a history yeah. of Casual carelessness, disobedience, objectifying God. Yeah, and so when they go back and they return with the Ark of the Covenant, there's just a sense of like um, God is protecting His honor, protecting His glory, and His relationship with His people. Mm-hmm. He's saying, "Look, I rescued you out of slavery. I am your sovereign Lord and King." And basically, you're throwing me in the trunk of the car. I mean, in some ways, when you think of it that way, the fact that he only took Uzzah's <laughs> life is a little... And we've, we were talking about this. It's, a, it's like merciful in some <laughs> ways. I mean, you right. could really see it that way. That, that you know, we talked in, a pre- in the previous episode about um, God being slow to anger. 
and you think of everything that happened that brought us up to this point of the oxen stumbling and Uzzah reaching out his hand, much of it was offensive to God. Yeah. And the reason why, and we'll talk about this too, whether now or later in this podcast, um, there are reasons why God gets angry or mad. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of it is to protect the covenant relationship that he has with his people. Um, and when they disobey mm. or they break that covenant, uh, it stirs up anger. And the closest analogy today would be the covenant of marriage. Okay. And throughout the Old Testament, the prophets come and tell the Israelites, you are like an unfaithful bride. Mm. So, um, you know, and, and even uh, um, uh, brain fart. Well, can I ask you yep. real quick before we go too much further past this, can you talk a little bit more about what a covenant is? That's not really something that we run into very much, except for maybe in the case of marriage. But it's more than just a, a like a legal agreement. It's more than just sort of a handshake, mm-hmm. right? There's more weight to it than that. <laughs> there is. Uh, boy, <laughs> it makes me want to go down this whole other trail uh, found uh, about a story in Genesis. Uh, maybe instead of that, why don't you give it a shot? Oh, man. <laughs> well, so I, I think when I think of covenant, and especially if we use the illustration of marriage, there's, there's an idea that it is um, a commitment with implications across the entirety of human experience, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, relational, that it sort of has weight in all of those categories. Um, And so it's not just simply saying, I agree to do this, but there's a sense of submitting your physical body to your spouse, or in this case, submitting, you know, what your physical body to the relationship with God, as well as sort of your, um, the, the way that you think. And so when I think of a covenant, I think of something, it's different than just like a legal agreement to do yeah. X, Y, and Z. It has implications across the entire aspect of who we are as people. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. That's, that's really great. Uh, one of the differences between a contract and a covenant would be, you know, uh, I agree to do this if you do that. Sort of an if then yeah. sort of. But in a covenant, you're basically saying, and you do this in, in a marriage vow. Yeah, regardless of re- what happens. Yeah, I'm going to be faithful to you, regardless uh, yeah. whether you are faithful yep. to me. Yep. And so really the story of the Old Testament is a one-sided story mm-hmm. of God being faithful in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness. Repetitive unfaithfulness. Yes. Continual unfaithfulness. And mm. and God, the prophets all talk to say to the Israelites, you are committing adultery when you chase after these other idols. And so here's the other way to phrase this. Would you want a God, um, would you want to follow a God that wasn't passionate about his covenant relationship with you? Mm-hmm. If, if you were to kind of stray and wander, and he was like, yeah, well. Right. And I'm sure it'll come back around. <laughs> right. Versus a God who's so passionate about his relationship with you. The only th- thing close to how I might imagine God feeling is, um, well, and, and ho- the prophet Hosea was a living testimony of this, mm-hmm. uh, of pursuing a, a woman of just, you know. Ill repute. Ill repute. And after marrying her, 
she goes out and sleeps around with other lovers. Mm -hmm. And instead of saying, well, that's it, God calls Hosea to pursue after her repeatedly as a witness to Israel to say, this is the kind of love I have for you. Right, right. Which is staggering because I think, I mean, I don't know how much as humans we could put up with that kind of punishment. Yeah, And yet God does. And so um, I think that's one thing for us to understand when it comes to um, covenant. It is really, it's a one-sided story. We're, we're faith, we're, we're constantly being unfaithful. And if anything, it's God who's being always faithful. So in some ways, again, the some, and again, it's not, we can't paint, every circumstance with this brush but Mm -hmm. in some cases god's anger is not necessarily at the specific act but instead sort of it it representing the breaking of covenant yet again Mm. uh that that he sort of was in with the people of israel is that accurate Yeah, yeah i would say so i would even say too yeah and so god's passion for his uh covenant relationship with his people and when there's a breakdown in that i would even say and you give me your thoughts on this anger is or or can be the first step towards reconciliation Mm. like when yeah yes it could be hurt but it's also because you care about the relationship so if if i do something to hurt amy or, or betray her her anger uh, in the in a healthy good scenario mm-hmm. is actually and her display of it mm-hmm. is actually the first trigger for me to choose whether to return yeah. and, and ask for forgiveness and reconcile or to turn my back and say forget you yeah i mean i think in in healthy ways anger catches people's attention you you can't you can't really ignore it and and i would say this is actually even sometimes true my own anger catches my attention (laughs) you know if if there's a line that's crossed that i'm unaware of but i suddenly find myself angry that's often a sign to say okay something has something a line has been crossed and it's time for me to figure out where it is so anger can be really informative in that way yeah um and so, uh, and there's a there's a verse in the New Testament that says, "In your anger, do not sin." Kind of separating those two, saying like, "Look, you can be um, angry and and not it, can, it not be sinful." Mm-hmm. So God, in some ways, is demonstrating that um, for a, a lot of let's assume it's for all of the, sort of the positive reasons that that anger can be functional in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, like let's take another example in in the Bible. Uh, God gets angry at Moses because he says, Moses, uh, my people have been slaves for 400 years. I'm calling you to be their liberator. Mm -hmm. And what does he do? He comes up with all these excuses. Well, God, who am I? Yeah, I don't speak very well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? Who should I say sent me? Mm -hmm. You know, and I can't speak well. Send somebody else. Send my brother. And through that whole interaction, Except for the last time, God listens and gives reasons why he is the one that God is calling him to do this. And finally, God gets 
short with him mm. and just says, look, now it's not a matter of, and we read that and go like, oh yeah, yeah, I could relate to that as a, as an impatient father. Mm. No, no, it, it, that's not what's going on here. There's a larger story going on that, that God is, uh, gets angry at Moses. One, <clears throat> again, his people have been enslaved for 400 years and his heart is for freedom and liberation. Right. He's like, come on already, Moses. Yeah. Like, let's do this, man. Yeah. Okay. And so he gets angry at Moses because, um, one, he doesn't. He, he wants to run contrary to what God wants to accomplish, yeah. and I, I think God hates oppression, wherever that is. In fact, it's not just when His people are oppressed; it's when His people oppresses other people. Yeah, and so all through the prophetic literature, like Amos is saying, like just God just speaks through Amos and and just blasts Israel. You are being unjust. You are ripping off the poor. You are, you know, and so God gets so angry either at the Egyptians or the Israelites because there's so much injustice and oppression. Mm-hmm. And when I think of that, um, I think, yeah, I mean, you know, getting angry for a breakdown of a covenant relationship or because there's injustice in the world, I get angry for a lot less reasons. Yeah. Just about every day. Yeah. The slow car that I just think is just like, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's almost daily occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> you can take Sung out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of Sung. Or, or even just like there's a long line at the grocery store. Yeah. Or, man, this gets me all the time. I go to the shorter line, and the longer line goes Starts faster. Oh. <laughs> I, I, here's what I love about the way that you're laying this out. And I, and I think there's something for us to, to keep in mind, which is that, in our regular relationships between you and I, between a husband and a wife, between coworkers, between siblings, the way that a relationship moves forward is that when anger is present, you take a look at it. Now, there can be wrong reasons for, let me say this, there can be wrong reasons to get angry, yep. but even understanding those wrong reasons can be powerful in bringing reconciliation in a relationship and in someone getting healthier. Um, there can be right reasons for anger, in which case uh, the the work needs to be done on the person who is who someone's getting angry at. Essentially saying, like you said, you've broken a covenant relationship. But looking at the source of anger is is where we get our information. Yeah. And so part of what you're saying is like, hey, when you see God, we we it's some, it can be easy just to sort of say God is angry in the Old Testament. And what you're saying is. Let's understand why God was angry in the Old Testament. Yeah, that that is a great question. It tells us something about who God is. And if we don't look at that, we can't, in the same way that you and I can't progress, if we don't sort of navigate the sources of our anger, uh, we also can't sort of understand these aspects of God in the same way. Yeah. It's good song. I think this is I think this is a good path for us to be on. It's tricky though. It, it is. Right? And I would say ask why is God angry? And then I would say read the whole context mm-hmm. or even the larger story. Sometimes it won't even be in that chapter or the church chapters before or after. <coughs> and then I would just say have an open mind and, and instead of having that be uh, a reason for you to step back from God, have it a, re- a reason for you to kind of step in and really study and, and, and look into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like I don't have all, like th- this podcast is forcing me to dive into questions that, I mean, these are questions I have. Yeah. 
and I'm I'm learning new things because of uh, because of the questions that we're asking. And again, we talked about this last podcast, but he's not only slow to anger, but abounding in love. Mm. So it's not just to say, "Oh, God is patient." No, like he he's abounding in love. Like all through the Psalms, it talks about his love is steadfast and his love endures forever. Like that, that's a, well, and the Hebrew word for that, uh, one that we should be pretty familiar here with that grace uh, is chesed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's God, and these, the English translation doesn't do it justice, but it's God's loving kindness. It, it's, well, and the loving kindness part, the imagery is more like a devoted parent's love to an infant, like it, it's over a long period of time, a steady love that, that doesn't change over time. So it's, it's a devoted parent to a, a, an infant into adulthood and beyond, mm-hmm. or a committed spouse to his or her partner over decades of marriage. Wow. It's not the infatuation, oh, I, I so hesed my. It, no, it, it is, it's when you see the old couple walking down the street holding hands, mm-hmm. like that is. That is a picture of Hesed. Yeah, yeah. And so when you say God, God is not only slow to anger, but He is, the, the, what characterizes Him is Hesed. Like it is that steadfast, enduring love, that just goes on and on and on. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you know something that we can continue to lean into as as we read the Old Testament, because like you said, like the Old Testament is what Jesus read. Like yeah. there's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's good to read it, even though it can be confusing, but it's to continue to look for the three dimensional image of who God is. And, you know, oftentimes when I, th- I have a tendency to do this and my wife always calls me on it is if I'm in conflict with someone, she will say, you are beginning to see that person two dimensionally. Mm-hmm. You only see one aspect of who they are and you need to begin to see them three dimensionally to really understand what's going on. Oh, that's good. And I feel the same way about this, where you can look at these images of God being angry, but if you don't stop to try to get the three dimensional view of who he is, again, you just, you're, you're missing critical parts of, of what I think the Old Testament is there to teach us. Because there's a lot of interactions. I mean, again, there are so many interactions between God and his people in the Old Testament. It's like the whole thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot for us to learn about God's character and who he is, but we have to remember to, to, tar- to try to see it three-dimensionally. Yeah, that's good. There's more, to, there's more to cover, right? Yeah, you know, God is portrayed as um, sexist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Like, why are women treated like property? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and there seems to be even, like, the sense is God almost, like, reverse Nazi. Like, uh, oh, he really favors the Jews, mm. and he doesn't like the Gentiles. Yep. You know? And not only that, but, uh, um, yeah, so there's a whole bunch of questions that, that will, some, some maybe challenging but easier questions while I still have more time to think about how to how, how to reconcile in my own head yeah. some of the more uh, larger questions. So, uh, th- I'm, and I'm going to put this challenge out there. This would be a great spot for you to try to stump some. If you can find an Old Testament story that makes absolutely no sense, those are the ones we want to hear about. I, uh, I don't need your help to be stumped. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we hope you'll join us again uh, next week when we tackle another passage from the Old Testament where we look at who God is and how he interacts with his people throughout time and history. 